Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Tina Peters and the price of the fight, the J6 Inquisition calm presses on, why Hillary attacks Justice Thomas, and Cornyn for the assist on the CRT agenda. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. America Can We Talk is sponsored by GC Works, a Dallas-based company performing advanced technology research in the oil and gas industry. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. If you watch this show regularly, you know that one of our very special and wonderful recent guests on this show on a Thursday recently was Colorado Secretary of State candidate Tina Peters. She appeared on the show actually along with Sharona Bishop, a wonderful activist. And this, uh, I'm raising this with you, I'm gonna play a, a little clip from that segment right in just a moment. Because yesterday, uh, there were actually the um, Colorado primaries. So the decision was made by Colorado voters, which of the three people who were running in a primary to run for Secretary of State on the Republican slate to oppose the incumbent Democrat who is the Secretary of State. And so it was a big vote yesterday uh, in the world of Tina Peters. Tina Peters, you may recall, uh, was the county clerk uh, in Colorado, who the Mesa County clerk, who in the course of her work realized that something looked very, very wrong uh, in what was turned, that what really tipped her thought um, was this interview was was this um they had the election in 2020 shortly after that uh there was a um a election for the city council positions in grand junction colorado grand junction is something in the range of 75 or 80 percent republican and yet all of the liberal democrat candidates all four of them running for city council seats won and she just said as a mesa county clerk which is the position in colorado in charge of elections that doesn't sound right so she engaged in essentially research to figure out how this could have happened. What I mean, to her was obvious there was fraud. She engaged the services of someone who essentially helped her show that the Dominion voting machines involved fraud. And I am going to play her segment in just a moment after the first five. But what happened to her life, I just first of all, I cannot urge you strongly enough to go back and listen to the entire interview of her on my show on June 9th. If you go to our website, americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org, that we list right on the homepage, past interviews, and you'll see hers come up. It was just a few Thursdays ago, June 9th, and she spoke very Openly, I mean, you'll see she's very engaging, very likable, uh, and she is someone who has been really raised the ire of the left because she continues to make the argument that the Dominion, Dominion voting machines are, in fact, hackable and were, in fact, in the election, uh, particularly the one she was focused on, uh, corrupted. And she presented evidence, which, well, with the what she gathered, she essentially took an, an image of inside the machine before and after the Dominion people were there, and she submitted it to cyber experts. Lengthy, lengthy report. Uh, if you're on, uh, you listen to the show recently, I had Dr. Douglas Frank on. He was talking about that just the report number three out of Mesa County, Colorado, makes absolutely irrefutable proof, is absolutely irrefutable proof of electronic election fraud. So, she, Tina Peters, gets indicted because of her actions of trying to prove the wrongdoing of the in the elections and the wrongdoing of the Dominion voting machines. She's indicted, uh, seven felonies, three misdemeanors. She gets out, and she says, I'm running for Colorado Secretary of State. Well, yesterday uh, was the primary in Colorado in which the, as I say, GOP voters, and I want to just, I'm going to plant this seed and come back to it in closing out the first five. <clears throat> there were three people in the primary. Tina Peters raised the most money by a landslide. She's obviously well-known. She has spoken up throughout Colorado, pointing out 
that the um, Dominion voting machines, as she has proof of their corruption, uh, not just that they can be corrupt, but they were corrupted. And, and she's presented this evidence to every entity who has any reason. She has brought it forth, and no one, even the Republican Party, is interested in looking at the facts. Not interested. It was, it's the whole, you know, nothing to see here. We don't want to hear about it. So yesterday's outcome and on this primary uh, was that the, um, there were, as I say, three people. One was named Pam Anderson. She's running, again, as a Republican on the, on the GOP slate in a primary in Colorado to be Secretary of State, be in charge of the entire, the entire election process in Colorado. Pam Anderson is a board member of Center for Tech and Civic Life. You can go to the website and read it yourself. It's tech, T-E-C-H, and civiclife.org. You're thinking, I know I've heard that. Yeah, this is the Zuckerberg-funded election fraud machine. I don't mean machine as in voting machine. The operation, the agenda. This is a Zuckerberg-funded effort to steal elections in America. Pam Anderson who wins the GOP primary, supposedly in Colorado, sits on the board of Zuckerberg's organization. She's a Democrat plant. She's a left-wing plant. I mean, there is no other conclusion you would reach once you realize she's playing ball for the other team. She's helping Zuckerberg and his team who participated in this massive theft of the 2020 election. So she, Pam Anderson, sits on their board, and she won handily. They don't require in Colorado that the in a primary, a three-way primary, you don't have to get over 50% of the votes. You win by plurality. You, know, you have the most votes of all. So she, uh, Pam Anderson, allegedly got 45% of the vote. Um, and there's another person running, Mike O'Donnell, another, it appears, uh, according to Tina Democrat plant, uh, and then and he gets 29%, and Tina Peters get 20, gets 25%. Now, I happen to know a little bit about their campaign. I know the polling was showing that she was at 47%, or that is what her team believed, not because she took polls at rallies that people already liked her, because they did polling, and that's where they came out. They thought she was at 47%, and yet, election day comes. And supposedly, a woman who's helping the Zuckerberg effort to undermine elections in America wins the Republican primary to be Secretary of State in Colorado. I don't think so. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. I'm going to continue the topic we've been on on this subject because I think it's so important to understand the battle that we are in. And actually, I called the first five the kind of Tina Peters and the price of the fight. She, on my show, again, I urge you, I really urge you to go back and listen to the whole interview at our website, americacanwetalk.org, and at that website, you can, uh, it's a right in the row with interviews, you'll see it, click on it, you can listen to the whole thing. Among the things I want to mention to you about her is she is not someone who has a long-term political agenda. She doesn't want to be governor, she doesn't want to be a senator. She wanted to serve in the capacity that she volunteered to serve in, which ended up being she was a she was the um, county clerk in Mesa County, and she had the agenda was to fix what was kind of a messy situation there. Hours and hours waits in line. She, she just did a lot of things to make it more efficient. She is a the typical the kind of the history books write about the innocent citizen who comes across something and says this just can't be right. Because of her efforts in that regard, because of what she did in, in recognizing this can't be right and going ahead and engaging in the research required to show what was right, she has been, as I mentioned in the first five, uh, indicted. She actually had to spend a couple of days in jail until she gets out, until some judge reversed the ludicrous level of bond that was set for her, the bail setting for her. And she got out and she said, you know, I'm running for Secretary of State. And she's running to, fight it, to try to fix the corruption because of the depth of the proof she has of Dominion voting machine, um, not just vulnerability to being hacked, but actual deception and, and proof of what occurs inside the machines that changes election outcomes. She is the public enemy number one of the, of course, the Democrat Party, of anyone who, of everyone on the left who says stop talking about election fraud. But sadly for her, she's also right up there on the list of public enemy of, for someone uh, on the among the Republicans because she's daring to say to the Republicans, how in the world can you continue to plow forward and act as though everything's fine when we just proved that the Dominion voting machines, and it's true, says she and her team, of, of the voting machines around the country that are electronic, 
how can you just plow forward and ignore what happened in 2020? You recall, I think yesterday or a couple days ago, I mentioned Sean Hannity, and excuse me, not Sean Hannity, sorry about that. Uh, Brett Baer um, did an interview with now the Arizona uh, candidate for uh, governor in Arizona, Carrie Lake. And she, Carrie Lake, really took Brett Baer to task when he tried, he essentially said, uh, don't you think people are sick and tired of hearing about election fraud? Don't you think they're sick of it? Why don't you stop talking about it? To which she said, you know, um, I, I, because we haven't fixed it, and I'm, I'm really embarrassed, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked to hear that there would just actually be this uh, message from Fox saying stop talking about it. But, you know, I want to, I, I do want to play a short clip from my interview with Carrie, with um, Tina Peters a few weeks ago, uh, again, June 9th, at our website, AmericanCanWeTalk.org, because this is really, you know, I, I, first of all, I, I will tell you, I personally do not believe those election results. I don't believe someone who helps the left and the Zuckerberg team won, handily won a Republican primary. I will say the media and every left-wing outlet in America, and frankly some right-wing outlets, have been attacking Tina Peters with all of the usual uh, adjectives and verbs they use to describe people. They are just trying to silence and ridicule and humiliate. She's been the victim, Tina Peters, of much bad publicity, but you listen to her, and you look at the evidence she has, it's overwhelming. And so we're at a place in America, whether, you know, um, how deeply she can dive in to see whether or not this election, this uh, primary election was uh, valid or not. I don't know. I don't know her next plans. Um, but I do know that we're living in a time where when people speak up and they say the truth, they get attacked really by the uniparty, certainly by the American left, who is just outrage that anyone dares to challenge anything they do, including uh, and challenge the 2020 election results, um, but outrage by people who persist after they've been told to shut up. Here's a quick clip of Tina Peters. You'll see how classy, smart she is, and I'll wrap up with one more point and we'll roll on. Um, so moving forward, I mean, you have to deal with this. This All these uh, charges are just absurd. I mean, there's nothing they criminal are. which occurred. But there's just a way to silence you. And I saw Laura Logan asked you, why don't you just stop talking about it? So I do have a lot of other questions, but why don't you just stop talking about it? Why don't you just be quiet? <laughs> because our country, our, our country, we're going to lose it if we don't right. get this out. And I told my, I told my uh, chief deputy, who they have been horrible to her too, and they finally fired her for no reason. Uh, she was on vacation when all this happened. Um, we're going to lose our country. We're going to lose our country if we don't wake up and, and, and get involved and call these people what they are. They're criminals, they're felons, and they need to be prosecuted. They need to go to jail for what they've done to your vote. And I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. You know, as an elected official, I have to remain, you know, neutral, nonpartisan. But everyone that takes the time to, to go vote, their vote should count for who they voted for. It's the very premise of our country. It's the premise of having we the people be the sovereign. And you have elections, you have a democratic republic and you have elections and you have the right to vote and only once. And, and really it changes everything in the country if the elections aren't fair. Because you may think if, you, if the vote is rigged, you think, oh, the people didn't like the idea of sticking with freedom. They want communism, they want socialism. You don't even know what the rest of the country wants. You don't know how to move forward. You don't know what arguments to make as a candidate because you don't know what the people really think, because you don't know what they really voted for. Okay, I wanted to play that because I just want to, I want you to see her, and I also want to encourage you, as I say, listen to that interview and understand, I don't know what she's going to do about this primary. I don't know if she's going to challenge it. I don't know what procedures exist to challenge it. But the other thing that happened in Colorado was that there were three or two other candidates uh, in, in Colorado who had their primary yesterday, uh, and all of the candidates speaking up about election fraud lost. Now, you could say the Republican voters are tired of hearing about election fraud, and that is why it happened. You can say it's because they, in each race, happen to like some other candidate. But recognize the left and the media and the uniparty are pushing to shut down any discussion about elections. And, and even Brett Baer, the formerly moderate, you know, moderate conservative, was kind of saying to Carrie Lake, to just stop already. I'm going to tell you, folks. If we don't get back to a system that has 
elections that we can trust, fair and honest elections that, uh, and, and by the way, at the time uh, all this was occurring, there had been that statement out right at the time of the elections in, in um, November 2020 and into all the controversy starting in 2021, the statement by CISA, the little subdivision within HHS that said, that put out the, these were the most fair elections ever. This is the most, uh, the exact quote I don't have in front of me, but there were assurances from people who were then considered to be part of the Trump administration. This was the most honest election in American history, the most secure election. Nothing to see here, folks. No fraud. This is ridiculous. Stop listening to Trump. However, that same agency since that time has acknowledged, and we talked about what happened two or three weeks ago, announced actually, as it turns out, our voting machines are vulnerable to hacking. Oh, they, they can be hacked. They're very vulnerable to hacking. They admitted the same machines they were saying were just secure, most secure in American history, are actually vulnerable to hacking. So that's where we are. Um, and moving forward, you know, we have elections, obviously, this year in 2022, hugely consequential elections in terms of the U.S. House majority, U.S. Senate majority. Uh, and we are still in a place where people like Tina Peters and Douglas Frank and Seth Keschel and all sorts of other serious conservatives raising data and facts and evidence are told to shut up. And it, as I say, it's not just the Democrats who truly really do want them, want them to shut up. It's really, it's also the Uniparty, the Republicans, um, who kind of got to where they are being able to say, um, you know, don't worry, elections are fair. They don't want this issue up. But this is survival of the Republic level issue. If you can't get the electronic voting machines out of our system, return to a system as reliable, if you can't do that, you know, then every other political speech activity, you know, getting out there to support your issue or support your candidate is completely inconsequential, a waste of your time. That's where we are in Tina Peters. And there are many, many people on the conservative side who kind of said, well, you've got to move on. There's probably not sufficient evidence. And it's like they can't see the forest for the trees. They can't see what has happened to our country. They can't believe that the elections could be stolen at, at, at the level which Douglas Frank, Seth Keschel, uh, Tina Peters are exposing. It's easier to say, oh, I don't think so. Let's roll on. Let me get back to my country club golf game, uh, and I don't want to talk about it anymore. I speaking of, I'm going to turn to my next topic in just a moment, but I want to, uh, for our Brightian Radio listeners, I want to, first of all, thank you for listening uh, to America Can We Talk. I want to make sure you know, if you're listening on radio, that you can always find this show online on my website, americacanwetalk.org, americacanwetalk.org. And on the homepage, you can watch this show live. You can also find on our website all past shows, past interviews, uh, the Why It Matters series, the blog posts we do, and that is the way I urge you to try to find this show. And especially, I'll tell you, for our radio listeners, you will, at the bottom of the hour, 30 minutes past the hour, you will go off to a station identification and ads. Don't go away. I think you have a three-minute break at the bottom of the hour, 30 minutes after the hour. Come right back. The show goes a full hour. And at the end of our show, I believe our radio listeners go off at 57 minutes after the hour or three minutes till the next hour and know that we go on a little bit after that. Anything you miss, you can always find uh, at our website, americacanwetalk.org. Okay, so my next topic that I want to hit, I call this a J6 Inquisition Com presses on. So I will tell you, it's a really funny thing that happened. Um, funny is not the right word. Odd and perhaps consequential thing that happened. So, so uh, yesterday, the January 6th Inquisition Committee uh, had announced a special surprise, you know, last minute scheduled um, further testimony. And they sought the testimony of Cassidy Hutchinson. Cassidy Hutchinson, young woman, 25 years old, working in the White House, a former White House aide, and they thought they had a really, really great thing because Cassidy was going to spill the beans. I mean, they thought they had a, this is the January 6th Inquisition Committee, all and entirely about taking Trump down, silencing political opposition, and putting the fear of God in every single American who ever wants to challenge the Democrats' authority or the 2020 election. So they had I mean, they say they're investigating January 6th, but they're not. They're not investigating a whole host of issues. If they actually cared to get to the bottom of January 6th, they'd be looking at, but they won't do it. So back to Cassie Hutchinson, 25 years old. So she testifies uh, that, there, that on January 6th, there was a physical scuffle inside the president's limousine in which uh, 
as she describes, Trump was trying to lean over the Secret Service agents, driving him around, grab a hold of the steering wheel, and turn the car back to go to the Capitol. He, Trump, was, this is her testimony, that she didn't, she wasn't there, but she heard this story, and she wanted to report this, that, can you believe, Trump tried to commandeer, uh, you know, the uh, Secret Service, the car he was in, comment, the Secret Service overwhelmed them, describing a physical altercation, Trump grabbing someone's arm, and, you know, acting like a crazy person. And so, you know, of course, this is just, you know, drool is coming out of the sides of the mouth of everyone on that ridiculous January 6th Inquisition Committee, most certainly Liz Cheney, and, you know, the whole slew of these uh, Democrat, you know, this committee out to get Trump. Well, it turns out, first of all, that almost immediately, like almost immediately, the people actually involved on that day who were there, uh, the Secret Service, Bobby Engel, the, this is Bobby Engel, E-N-G-E-L, who was the lead agent and the presidential limousine SUV driver, um, as well as um, another, uh, the other uh, guy who was there, um, spoke up immediately, said, we'll testify. That never happened. It didn't happen. So they're, they're you know, she's, they're egg on her face, an egg on J6 uh, Inquisition Committee face, but both these people are saying, we will say that that just never happened. Now, she did say, I wasn't there, I just heard this story, but there's a, there's a, my thought about this is, I actually got to wondering, because Cassidy Hutchinson was so ridiculous, so non-credible, so I mean, childish in what she was presenting as, oh, this is so serious, I swear, that you kind of wonder she was a plant. I mean, a plant by the good guys to make the J6 committee look ridiculous because they looked ridiculous, acting like they had found you know, the star witness, the one who's going to change everything, and, you know, apparently uh, nothing to it. Um, other things she raised, I mentioned yesterday, I will say, I think there's a this... Uh, this um, pushing on this idea that somehow if Trump was contacting the DOJ during the period between the November 3rd election and the January 20th inauguration, uh, pressing the DOJ to look into election fraud, you know, people who support, either you support Trump or you are intelligent enough to have read all the evidence that exists related to election fraud, you're thinking, of course Trump was asking them, yeah, he was asking them, say, please, somebody investigate this. Couldn't get them to do that. They wouldn't do it. Um, and if you're the January 6th people, you know, if you're the left uh, that couldn't, and, and the uniparty that really wanted Trump out of the way in Washington because he was so interfering with the uniparty agenda, you can characterize those phone calls, that effort as this is Trump, you know, interfering with the election, um, trying to, to uh, delegitimize a perfectly legitimate election. I mean, you can see both sides looking at that same behavior of Trump calling the DOJ and saying, please look into this. I mean, and, and obviously, I, because I've had enough experts on my show, actual cyber experts, actual mathematical genius type experts who've laid out the proof of election from, and I've seen the 2000 Mules uh, movie, a film, as many of you have, uh, had Catherine Engelbrecht on the show. I've seen enough evidence to think I, I have no doubt the 2020 election was stolen. What we do about it is a different question. Whether there was massive outcome-changing fraud, I have no question. But if you're on the side of the uniparty, part of it is, you know, they just, they, they are, they're so glad to be rid of Trump, they don't care what the actual facts are. They just don't care. Long as Trump's gone, so they don't want people stirring up the inquiry into, the, into what happened in 2020 because all of a sudden they look weak. And they, I mean, once you have people stirring up, looking into it, uh, then all these people who've been defending, oh, we've never had, you know, no outcome changing fraud, most secure election ever, they look foolish and ridiculous. They don't want to look foolish and ridiculous, so they want to keep suppressing this whole push toward uh, looking into the evidence. But back to Cassidy Hutchinson, she was so silly level um, that people are, I mean, there are people uh, speculating, I'm certainly speculating, that maybe she really... Uh, you know, she was a plant sent up there unknowingly. I mean, she thought she was going to be the most famous person in America for her 10 minutes of fame, and she sounded ridiculous. Um, and, and, and she certainly sounded ridiculous complaining about the idea um, that uh, Trump may have been putting pressure on the Department of Justice to look into the elections. But another thing about the J6 Inquisition Committee, one reason I harp on this a lot in this show, and I, I, I do, I am, I am, 
because I want more Americans to recognize how completely outrageous their actions are. This is like a, people have been calling it a political show trial. They have been analogizing to various very famous political show trials in world history, um, you know, Stalin and others. The left got power in America, and this January 6th committee, Inquisition Committee, is bound and determined to just destroy Trump and anyone who supported him, and they are ignoring, and so you know, their purported mission of understanding everything that happened on January 6th is obviously a bold-faced lie because they don't look into a lot of things that anyone actually looking into January 6th would look into. They can't be bothered. They cannot be bothered. The only get Trump is the only agenda they have. But it's very interesting. I want to mention something else that's occurring. Um, so Ginny Thomas, who is the wife of uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, uh, is very politically active. And many people on the left have, over the years, complained about her, saying, you know, um, Justice Thomas needs to recuse himself from all these cases because Ginny Thomas is an activist, which is so sexist, so sexist, uh, never seemed to bother them, however active Hillary Clinton was in everything. Uh, and, you know, I, I realize her husband was president and not a judge, but the concept, and when Hillary was in the limelight all the time, uh, they could just not, you know, stop drooling over the fact that they had a woman in a prominent position in Washington, wielding power, running policies. I, I mean, really, uh, ju just a very powerful figure. They thought, great, 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 we love her, because she's standing up for left-wing views. Jenny Thomas is a, also a political activist. She happens to be very connected, very smart, and she's very discerning. I happen to know her a little bit, um, you know, more than a little bit. But anyway, she's very discerning about people, and she's very, she's focused on being an activist. So what's occurred now on the January 6th Inquisition Committee that previously, when they had Mark Meadows, who was at that time for of all these events, President Trump's chief of staff, um, they had, when his text messages were released. I mean, he turned them over and naturally someone released them because the left always releases things that make them, they think, make them look good. Anyway, Mark Meadows had uh, text messages back and forth with Ginny uh, Thomas, and Ginny Thomas was essentially agitating for the idea, this is prior to January 20th, and, and after November 3rd, so, and, you know, in that span, advocating why doesn't President Trump do, you know, more than he can, more than he has, to try to expose election fraud. She's aware, as many people were by that time, of the scope and range of election fraud, very, very concerned about it. So they first had uh, this interest in, in talking with her uh, because her, um, of her text message exchange with, with Mark Meadows. Um, and then, um, you know, there were the messages, there were 29 of them, um, and the messages that have now become uh, public uh, revealed a conservative activist pleading with a government official to continue investigating allegations of election fraud in the pandemic era contest and, and turnout. And among the things she was apparently talking about was the record level turnout in the form of mail-in voting that was ripe for misconduct. So now the January 6th Commission, Inquisition Commission, wants Jenny Thomas to come, a wife of a Supreme Court justice they're basically saying you're not allowed to be a political activist. And this is what the left has argued about her and argued about how Justice Thomas should be recusing himself. He shouldn't be allowed to vote. He shouldn't be allowed to... Re I mean, they just, you know, it's a way because they're aggravated uh, because Justice Thomas is such a tremendously articulate and, and brilliant jurist. Um, and he comes down on the conservative, the pro-America conservative view. Um, and Jenny Thomas is an activist. And I mean, the idea that every judge in America would have to recuse himself or herself if their spouse was politically active, you know, that, that would be a few judges, but it, uh, and justice is having to do that. But anyway, back to her. So they've now, after this kind of ridiculous Cassidy Hutchinson thing yesterday, uh, now J6 is turning to her, and she, Jenny Thomas, has, at least has, through her lawyer, uh, communicated to J6 people, Mrs. Thomas is eager to clear her name and willing to be appear before the committee to do so. He's writing this to Chairman Benny Thompson, the Democrat of Mississippi, and Vice Chair um, trader, uh, Liz Cheney, uh, alleged Republican of Wyoming. However, this is, uh, again, the lawyer for Jenny Thomas speaking, Paoletta. However, based on my understanding of the communications that spurred the committee's request, I do not understand the need to speak with Mrs. Thomas. She's basically saying, 
you know, she wants their term context. They want to, what do you want to know about? Because you, know, you are now, you're going to try to have a wife of a Supreme Court justice appearing before this incredibly, not just partisan, but witch hunt level inquisition committee. Yeah, I, I think they're wise to question. Um, and I, I will say, I think it's also a little bit of an effort of these radical leftists who now run our country to send a message to Clarence Thomas, you know, try to silence him, embarrass him, ridicule him. I don't know what will come of it, but they are, they are to understand, the January 6th committee has now, uh, literally, as we recounted, I think, two days ago, uh, they've been through their investigations, what the FBI is doing, who's joined this witch hunt, uh, showing up at the homes of people, uh, beating down their gates, beating down their doors, we, uh, their um, doors, you know, breaking down their doors as though they're doing a, a, ma a major international drug smuggling, um, you know, hit. And they're really just at some American who went to Washington and didn't even go inside the Capitol, but yet they are treated this way by our government. Uh, the January 6th Commission has conducted itself in very similar ways, trying to do the tentacles, the spider webs go out and out and out and out. Anyone who was a, a serious supporter of Trump, helped Trump along, supported him, uh, is viewed as suspect as part of the insurrection that isn't an insurrection at all and wasn't an insurrection. And, you know, the whole thing, I'm, you know, it's really interesting. We're going to get into talking about Senator Cornyn in a minute is how you see things to start with, what your worldview or your paradigm is that then shapes how you see a series of events and, and how you read them, what you think about them. So that's kind of where we are. Um, I don't know what happened to Jane Thomas, but I'm really glad she's, uh, her lawyers are challenging it. Speaking of um, Clarence Thomas, Supreme Court Justice Thomas, I want to make a brief comment about Hillary Clinton. So Hillary Clinton's been out there um, in an interview. Uh, I don't know who she was talking to. Gail King, uh, she's speaking to a, um, an interviewer, Gail King, during an appearance on CBS this morning. So Hillary Clinton has always despised Justice Thomas. She can't, and I'll get to why in a moment, but what she had to say what Hillary Clinton had to say about Clarence Thomas uh, just recently, over the weekend, I think it was, Gail King show, CBS This Morning, said, Hillary speaking here, I went to law school with him. He's been a person of grievance. Okay, this is, okay, I won't even start on that. He's been a person of grievance for as long as I have known him. Resentment, grievance, anger. This is how she's describing Clarence Thomas. Now, it's in the context of discussing the Roe versus Wade overturning, the Dobbs case, and they do get into the Dobbs case and talk about that. But Hillary Clinton, I want you to think about her attitude toward Clarence Thomas. Because Clarence Thomas, I'm pretty sure, was not the only Supreme Court justice who voted to overturn Roe. You had to have a majority. We already went through who was in the majority in that case. So you had a majority of justices on the Supreme Court, but the one that Hillary Clinton is laser focused on is the one black justice. Hillary Clinton finds the mere presence on the national political scene of a black conservative who is intelligent, articulate, confident, outspoken, and who dismisses and rejects everything she believes in everything. He's, Clarence Thomas is, you know, he just, he doesn't believe in anything about the left-wing agenda that Hillary Clinton loves. Hillary Clinton finds it outrageous that this guy remains on the Supreme Court, remains, uh, does, does not recuse himself as she and her um, allies have uh, occasionally requested that happen. And she, what she finds outrageous is he's a black man who thinks for himself. This is my view. I don't know Hillary Clinton, but she, along with many other leftists, are, in my view, that this is the home of racism in America. People talk about systemic racism, institutional racism. The ideology of the American left is so lockstep, everyone must think this, everyone must support this, everyone must oppose this. And part of their effort over generations in bringing in the black vote into the Democrat Party is to do the endless grievance mode. I mean, this is the most uh, hypocritical or, you know, reality turned on its head kind of thing that Hillary even said. The Democrat Party, including Hillary and the entire wide swath of Democrats, their messaging to black America is essentially always, 
You need to vote for us because America is a deeply racist country, because everyone who's not a Democrat hates you, because we have systemic racism, institutional racism. You as a black American, you, you can't possibly get a fair shake in America, but so you need us so, so you need us to protect you. Vote for the Democrats, and we will protect you, and we'll provide every single bit of government spending you want on anything. You likely recall the language of Democrat President LBJ as he put into place the Great Society. I don't say that word, so I'm not going to say that N-word on the show. But he openly talked about, yeah, let's create the Great Society, this massive spending program, creating all the welfare programs that mostly still exist today, and sold them on the notion, you know, once we do this, we'll have those black Americans, he, he used the N-word, but uh, voting for us forever. This is the mindset of the left. They, they view the black voting bloc in America as something they own, something that black America owes loyalty to the Democrat Party, and a group of Americans who simply must stay on the ideological plantation that the left has created for them. And you, what is so ironic and hypocritical, Hillary is talking about Clarence Thomas, her words, he's been a person of grievance, her entire political persona, Hillary's entire political persona is creating new silos of victims and reminding all sorts of Americans why you should see yourself as a victim. Black Americans, women, anyone of color, uh, new immigrants, refugees, her entire political ideology, persona, agenda, policy goals is, is only and always premised, all premised on creating grievances, creating outrage, creating victims, and then those victims owe their loyalty to the party she's telling them they should vote for. She finds Clarence Thomas's capacity to actually reason as an intelligent adult, as an individual, as someone who respects America and American history, she finds that so outrageous because he's so well respected across the board in this country. He's a deep thinker. He's a deep, uh, he's a deep thinker. He's emerging to be seen uh, and increasingly being seen as the ideological leader of the conservatives on the Supreme Court. Uh, since we have John Roberts, who in name only is Chief Justice, who's just, you know, I don't even know what his problem is. I've opined and guessed in the past, but whatever it is, he's not on board of being the person he was when he got on, on the court. And I'm saying all this to say Hillary Clinton is trying to spread this venom about Clarence Thomas and of all absurd hypocrisies, say he's a person of grievance when that is her political identity. She lives to create outrage and grievances, but she finds Clarence Thomas's presence on the Supreme Court, willingness and bravery to speak up on, on many issues where she says left-wing views must be, where she's imposing the idea that left-wing views must be embraced by every black American has to do with gun control, uh, certainly on abortion. She's outraged that Clarence Thomas would vote against her political agenda on abortion and many other things. And by the way, Clarence Thomas uh, wrote a piece recently, probably really rubbed Hillary the wrong way. Uh, the piece is in uh, the New York Post. It's called How Liberal Policies Have Killed Black Communities. Clarence Thomas. Okay. This kind of stuff drives the left nuts because the left never wants people to think through what has been the consequence of all the policies the left put in place in this country. The last thing the Democrat Party wants is for any black American or any American of any color to think through and, and face reality about the consequences of all the destruction caused to America by liberal policies, by Democrat policies. And so again, his language, Clarence Thomas kept it nonpartisan, but he called it How Liberal Policies Have Killed Black Communities. Clarence Thomas, great article, can't go into it today, but I do want to urge you, this is why Hillary Clinton is so outraged about um, Clarence Thomas. She just can't believe this guy continues, maintains his stature, and he is, by the way, being, people are talking about the idea, he's signaling through language and dissents, uh, and the dissent he writes, in a, a recent case he wrote a dissent which sent a signal, he's willing to look at a lot of Supreme Court decisions which seem to be more like policy, less like substance, inconsistent with the Constitution. He made a reference to talking about whether we should uh, relook re again at the um, actual malice standard which relates to defamation. I could probably go into another day. But he's a thinker. I mean, he's not trying to overturn every, every precedent for no reason, but he's a thinker. And this enrages Hillary, who thinks that he should 
shouldn't be allowed to think because based on the color of his skin, he's only allowed to think what she thinks. That's how she sees him. It's outrageous. Okay, before I get to my last topic on John Cornyn, which I think is just a mind-blowing topic, I want to run through uh, several quick things that we're doing on this show and things coming up. Um, I do want to talk about my summit on October 15th. Uh, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about our website and what we're doing at our website. Um, and I also want to talk about our Thursday shows and we'll talk about membership. So on our Thursday shows, my one, um, one day a week on Thursdays, I do a special show, which is in our larger studio. By the way, I always want to thank Real News PR, Real News Communication Networks. Here I'm in this a satellite studio. Uh, Joe is doing a brilliant job, always does. Uh, but, so they have lovely studios. But my Thursday show, every Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time is live and with a really good one-on-one, -on -one extraordinary guest, uh, sometimes two-on-one. But I mean, I have a special guest and a one-hour conversation with just that guest on, on a serious topic. It's a deep dive show. So tomorrow, Thursday, um, we have in studio with us uh, Texas State Senator Bob Hall, who is a, uh, you know, the hero of conservatives, a very, a very, very thoughtful guy, and also a man named Jeffrey Younger. And Jeffrey Younger um, is a dad in Texas. Uh, he's the, he was married to a woman. They had twin boys, uh, and they divorced. The parents divorced. And the uh, boys, as uh, life went along, uh, his ex-wife decided one of the twin boys was really a girl. She's on a transgender mission to trans to, to change the gender of one of their boys. She started this, I think, when he was seven or maybe even younger. So they went through a divorce, many, many court proceedings, uh, many, many efforts in the Texas state legislature to ban uh, gender transition, treatments, therapy, surgery uh, for minors. Just saying, you may make this decision as an adult, but in Texas, we're going to protect minors <clears throat> because this dad says every time the son is with him, the kid's a boy. He wants to be a boy. He wants to play football. He wants to wrestle in the mud. And he's a boy. And the mother says, oh, no, no, he's really a girl. And so the judges in this state, according to the dad, Jeffrey Younger, have really done a great disservice to him. Will not, at this point, he's very limited in his ability to even see his children. Uh, the court's taking the side of the wife who wants to start the transgendering um, effort on this boy, who I think may be nine or ten at this point. And we're going to have him on just to talk about, um, you know, the failure of the Texas legislature uh, to address this, to actually solve the problem. Uh, and, I mean, make it illegal in Texas. Uh, my concern, the role of pharmaceuticals who make, I mean, I'm going to say at least millions and maybe billions in concocting all the therapies, drugs, and treatments for these transitions. Uh, the number of transition centers in Texas Centers that do gender transition for children um, has blown up in the last few years. As, and, and so it's a very tender topic, a very sensitive topic, but it's a very important topic to understand. I see it as a larger threat, this whole explosion of transgender arguments as another effort of the American left to bring down America, bring down the uh, nuclear family unit, bring down the... the um, the sense of, of identity that comes for to many people of Christian and, Jew, and Jewish faith about the sense of you have God-given identity and the, the, anything that's disruptive of of a family stability and security, the left is all for it. So it's going to be a very interesting show tomorrow. So on to our summit. We have a summit uh, called Women for Freedom every year. Uh, and so I want to ask Joe, I believe he has a flyer available. So this is our flyer for this. And this is our save the date. And the reason I want to put it up on the screen is you can grab it, make a screen grab. If you're listening online, I mean, if you're listening online or on radio, uh, you can see this at our website, americacanwetalk.org. Uh, the lineup of speakers is simply extraordinary extraordinary, deeply thoughtful uh, on the top issues facing America. The date is Saturday, October 15th. Our tickets will go on sale July 4th. And so I really, really urge you um, to, to save that day. Consider coming to Texas. You'll love it. I mean, the, the feedback we get is truly over the top. People And the people come from around the country. It's a great day. So I hope you can come October 15th. Um, I want to mention that. And then also on our website, which is americacanwetalk.org, um, I want to also mention the um, newsletter. If you go to the website, you can click on subscribe. You get a once a week newsletter. Um, I write it myself. And uh, it's a, it has a column for me every week, my weekly column, and also has um, all links to past interviews and shows and um, great things like that. So it's a great thing to, um, to subscribe to. Uh, this show is listener supported. 
And so if you love this show, I please consider making a donation to make this show uh, continue. I love, love doing it. I've been doing it since 2014. And as I often say, I don't take a salary. I do this out of love of America and no other reason. But you can make a donation to keep this show online. You can also join America Can We Talk for a mere $50 a year, $50 a year. It's practically free. Join American Can We Talk, become a, uh, a member, and you will get a discounted price on our summit as well as on the products we are developing to for sale. But the main reason to join is to support this show. Two other quick things I want to hit with you. One has to do with um, products that you, other ways to support the show. Uh, one is that there's a, the, uh, my pillow um, company, which everyone's heard of, Mike Lindell's company. Uh, there's a flyer up if you're watching this show. Uh, MyPillow.com um, is the website, MyPillow.com. And when you go there, uh, you, they have just, and they have a bunch of new products. They just sent me a long email of new products. They have tons of great products, um, but they are just, you know, great pillows, his original product, which we own in our home, um, every bed. Um, so the pillows are great quality, as are the sheets towels, uh, blankets, bathrobes, slippers. Um, you know, they have dog beds. We don't have a dog. We had a dog. We love to get another dog. But anyway, they have all sorts of great products. And when you go to mypillow.com, you can, and they're reasonably priced, high quality, come ship, they ship right to your home. And when you're checking out, if you put in the promo code DEBBIEG, D-E-B-B-I-E-G, DEBBIEG, I get a small percentage of what you order. Uh, you get up to 66% off on your order. Every product has a different amount, but up to 66% off shipped to you. It's a great way to support this show and get some fun gifts for your family, fun things you'll use uh, in your home. They really are useful products. I know people, uh, you can go to conferences and you get trinkets and you know, just stuff. And honestly, usually as you're leaving the conference, you throw most of them away. Um, so I don't, I don't provide things and sell things that are, these are good quality things you will like. The other product I want to urge you to consider is H2Bev. And we have, that is a, um, the drink is called HydroShot. It's on the screen now, HydroShot. And the website is H and then the numeral two, H2Bev, B-E-V, as in Victor, for a beverage, H2Bev.com. And if you go to H2Bev.com, you can order a case of HydroShot. And this is a, uh, a only sold online, only sold through people like me, not available in stores. And it is a brand new and brilliant technology created in uh, the state of Texas, actually near where we live, um, state of Texas. Uh, it is infused hydrogen, a, product, a process which prior to these people doing it, it had never been possible to do, but I drink one every single morning. Uh, it is, truly does increase focus, mental energy, focus. It's a great, it's a great, simple, good tasting, you know, drink in the morning. I have one every morning uh, before I even have my coffee. I urge you to try it. Um, and sometime we'll have on the people who founded it, that created this product because they have a lot of really good information uh, that I'm not sharing right now about all of the health benefits. But I will tell you, there are professional athletes whose names you would know who drink this every morning. So you go to h2bev.com in the promo code, put in DEBBIEG, D-E-B-B-I-E-G. And again, you get 10% off your order. I get a small commission. Everyone gets happy. It comes right to your home. I'm telling you, you will love it. Okay, I want to do those little pl uh, plugs. And again, for those of you listening on radio, Bredian Radio, uh, as you uh, head off toward the end of the hour, 57 minutes to love, or 57 minutes after, or three minutes of, know that I'll be back tomorrow. Don't miss tomorrow's show with Senator Bob Hall and Jeffrey Younger. But the last topic for today I want to hit, I said Cornyn for the assist on the CRT agenda. We've talked about the critical race theory agenda, CRT agenda, many times. And this is one of the two agenda items which are driving parents to public schools, to the school boards, along with the LGBTQ transgender encouragement agenda, transgender grooming agenda, which parents are finally alert to. But the CRT agenda, critical race theory agenda, uh, fortunately came to the uh, public's attention, but ha actually had already made its way into many public schools, into the curricula of public schools, and not that the teacher stood in front of the class and said, okay, kids, today we're going to talk about critical race theory. It's more insidious than that, and because it's not just an open theory they can present as a theory, a theory, and then present the other side and, and have a discussion. CRT is not really an ideological theory, it's an agenda. It's an agenda. If you think about the 1619 project that came out of the um, uh, 
Boston people out of, New York, out of the New York Times, the, the uh, 1619 Project, which essentially said all of American history you've ever learned in school is wrong, that everybody should start thinking about what America is, our identity as a country, based on the fact that when we started our country, we had slavery, 1619 being the year they point to as the first slaves arrived in America from Africa. And so the 1619 agenda, the CRT agenda, the Black Lives Matter BLM agenda, they all have the same uh, purposes which is to denigrate the unique, extraordinary ideas of America, to just denigrate America as a, an evil, institutionally racist, uh, systemically racist country, hopelessly racist country, to encourage children to judge everybody else permanently by the color of their skin, to assign to people, because if you are white, you are a permanent oppressor, no matter how nice and generous and good you are, and if you're black, you're a permanent victim. You are always the oppressed, always the victim, regardless of how successful you are in your life. The point of the CRT, BLM, 1619 Project, it's all the same, is to send the message to children in our schools that you should see and judge everyone by race. Forget about what Martin Luther King said about how important it was, that what he wanted for his children, for them to be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. The CRT, BLM, 1619, exactly the opposite. So CRT works its way in the public schools, and parents have been there protesting. Well, many of you may be thinking, well, now this is great. It's been exposed, and, you know, not going to happen anymore because look at this. We have, you know, uh, we we now have public knowledge, public information. We're we're telling the administrators and the teachers and the school boards this has to stop. We don't want you to do this. One of the greatest um, uh, heroes of the um, whole uh, exposing CRT agenda was Florida Governor DeSantis, who just simply outlawed it in his state. But what I'm about to tell you that Cornyn did is a problem. But what DeSantis tried to do was outlaw in his state and just basically he just said as he's so capable of just distilling down to a few poignant words he said because I don't want in our schools in Florida I don't want our kids taught to hate America or hate each other based on the color of their skin which is exactly the goal of the CRT agenda one more point about that before I get to what Cornyn's up to one way you know that CRT agenda is rotten and evil is that as with many things the left pushes there's no finish line. There's no goal that says, okay, once we reach this, then we're okay. We can stop pummeling children with the idea that they are permanent oppressors or permanently oppressed. The CRT agenda has no goals, no, no, no markers. And so it is a eternal, eternal, intentionally disruptive and divisive agenda. No end in sight. Not just no end in sight. No end permitted. You could have America with, with fabulous statistics about everyone and our capacity for opportunity and outcome and, blah, and everything we would measure. And the CRT agenda is unsatisfied because the agenda is not about fixing things. The agenda is about stirring up division intentionally and permanently. So people get a hold of this idea. So, you know, but you think, well, how, now that we all know this, why are we even talking about it? it hasn't it been driven out? Well, let me tell, uh, enter John Cornyn. Uh, John Cornyn is uh, one of the U.S. senators representing the gray state of Texas. He recently was behind a push in the Senate uh, for this gun control bill, which uh, caused him to get booed at the Republican convention here in Texas, um, and has he's been receiving a lot of criticism. Anyway, John Cornyn is, you know, he's not a Tea Party guy. He's not a conservative, but you know, he's been in the swamp a long time. He was first elected to Senate, I'm pretty sure, in 2002. So he's like been there forever. Anyway, so John Cornyn um, has been is behind a bill, back to why we should understand CRT is still going to be right in our faces. Um, John Cornyn's behind a bill called Civics Secures Democracy Act, CSDA, Civics Secures Democracy Act. And the reason I'm raising this is, you know, people around this country, they lament that young people aren't learning civics, they're not learning how to love America, why America is unique, what our declaration means, what our founding documents mean, what the Constitution, they don't learn that anymore. And so, you know, I think he'd probably say, yeah, I'm trying to help restore that. But what is going on with this bill is that the bill, backed by Senator Cornyn, I mean, it's his bill, um, would give $6 billion, B as in boy, billion, new money in federal grants through the Department of Education, $6 billion in new federal grants to states to help with civics secures democracy, to teach civics. However, would you say, well, that's good. They're going to teach civics. Well, you know, in a 
piece of legislation Congress passes, they cannot say, you know, so therefore use only these textbooks and never use these textbooks and do not teach this. They can't get at that level. So it has to be a federal agency taking the money Congress has allotted, making the policies, the rules, the regulations, and then dispensing it out to the states. And of course, the states, in order to get this money, uh, grant money, um, which they really, really want, of course, they always want more federal money. Uh, to get that grant money, they have to go along with whatever are the strings attached to the grant money. So part of the triggering language people are concerned about was that this is, uh, and in fact, it says in the bill, um, is it is designed for a nonprofit organizations, institutions of education, and researchers to improve civics and American history education, education, primarily for traditionally underserved students. So it's money targeting traditionally underserved, which you know traditionally means uh, people of color and low-income areas. And so you think, well, that's good. We really want to have them understanding. I mean, more people understanding, but maybe people who might not other. Although I learned this in school. But there have been critics arising about this. One is Stanley Kurtz, a name well-known Stanley Kurtz, at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, who has been warning, waving the red flag of alarm, warning and saying, when they use that term, traditionally underserved students, they are talking about an agenda. They're talking about an agenda that they used to have under, they used to call in this bill, action civics. And that's why you had classroom teachers teaching kids how to protest. Here's how we go. Here's how we protest. We say this. We, we, we. It's teaching kids to be left-wing activists. That's what action civics was. It was in, uh, allegedly included in the, in the civics portion of education, but it's about teaching them to be left-wing protesters. And so that language was removed, action civics, but Stanley Kurtz is saying, same thing, it's just a new iteration of action civics and its central focus uh, on undeserved students it's going to be decided how you reach these students uh, through Biden's Department of Education. Of course, because they have to implement it. Well, the bureaucracy in Washington is already radically leftist. I mean, they just, they stay there no matter who's president. And under Biden, Biden's right on board with everything these leftists like about everything. And so Stanley Kurtz is saying, you know what's gonna happen? You're funding more of this activist anti-American education. And, um, in fact, he talks about in the hive, and this is Kurtz explaining this, in the hive of progressive education, the idea of underserved students is that recent immigrants and impoverished ethnic and racial minorities cannot embrace or excel at old-fashioned ideas on federalism or checks and balances. To truly excite and empower the underserved, you must supposedly teach about systemic racism and recruit students into Black Lives Matter-style protests for course credit. So Corna's bill... People are trying to say to him, you're actually enabling the left-wing agenda. That's what you're doing, and you need to stop. You need to stop doing this. And so you have, so Corn has responded saying, that's ridiculous. You know, uh, he, in fact, he's been very mocking. Well, I'll tell you, President Trump raised it. Uh, Stanley Kurtz was on, I think, Mark Levin's show saying, this is really bad news. But you wonder how things get funded that come out of the uh, left and how even after all this activism, we have, you know, critical race theory essentially being funded and paid for and, you know, by this, by this administration. With, it's, it's because you have bills like this that sound good in theory, but they're not. And I want one more point, and then I'm going to turn to my first five for today. John Cornyn is a good example of why we should have term limits. When you're in Washington, you're marinating in that left-wing, uniparty, heady world of you're a, you're a U.S. senator and you're invited to the most important cocktail parties and you're rubbing elbows with the most important people and they really understand and all these hicks, you know, in the, in the hinterland, these hicks back in Texas who would boo Cornyn, which they did, but who would boo Cornyn, they don't know what they're talking about, they're fools, they're, you know, they're just silly level, we don't have to pay attention to them. And this is uh, Cornyn, you know, in his rejection of what Stanley Kurtz is saying. And actually, there was another major educational organization that's put out talking points and trying to say to Cornyn, don't do this. All you're doing is funding the Department of Education to do more critical race theory agenda. That's all you're doing. But he, he won't listen. And it's partly on the, maybe on Cornyn, you say, well, he's just in the Washington bubble. He can't really believe that this left-wing agenda that the conservatives complain about is really that serious or that there are that many people in the DOE who support it. So maybe, you know, Cornyn just thinks, you know, um, 
the, the, this, the, the, over, the objection the way he wants to do is an overreaction that people can just get over. It's just going to be a new way to teach civics. But I'm telling you, it's because when you're in the bubble that long and you go to the Washington cocktail parties and you're the coolest guy there because you're a senator from the great state of Texas, you lose touch with the people. You lose touch with reality. And you cannot see the forest for the trees. You're in the, with all the trees up there in Washington, and everyone seems nice, and everyone says, oh my gosh, don't listen to these people saying there's a Marxist takeover of America happening. Don't listen to these people who would say that the Department of Education would corruptly use the money to push CRT. They're just extremists. You're talking to happy people on both sides of the aisle at political parties and cocktail parties, and they nod and smile and say, yeah, it's so great to see you. How are your grandkids? Hey, how was your golf game yesterday? So that, that's how they, that where they think they are. And all these peasants out there in the world, these parents speaking up at school boards, are a little bit testy, a little bit extremist, on what they're talking about. So Cornyn, you know, he may be just ignorant. He may not know what time it is in America. He should know what time it is in America if he's paying attention, because he is a judge and a lawyer. He can understand. He should understand all the ways in which the Biden administration is behaving in a manner inconsistent with our Constitution. He should understand that, but maybe he's just lured in and just really can't see it, or maybe he just doesn't want to see it because the fight is too hard. The fight is too hard for him to say, we are not funding another $6 billion to DOE for civics education because all you people will do in Washington is spend it on pushing your agenda out, and I don't want to back that. I don't want to allow that. I'm going to fight that. He is no Tina Peters. Senator John Cornyn does not have the bravery. He's been very dismissive of election fraud because, you know, we polite people in Washington. We don't talk about that. We don't say that. You know, we just say, well, there's always some fraud, but, you know, I think it was fine. He doesn't have the, the courage of the Tina Peters of the world. He doesn't have the courage of the Dr. Douglas Frank and the literally thousands and millions of Americans who are standing up. He's in this smooth, you know, velvet uh, room swamp, you know, all these fancy receptions and being told how important and wonderful he is. And he's not recognizing the forest for the trees. He's, I mean, and that I, you know, I, I think he is just a guy who is just, you know, is not about to do anything that's going to get him angry attention from establishment media because they love him. They treat him as a, you know, one of them. He's, he's pretty much one of them. He's an establishment guy in Washington. He helps the establishment uh, stay in power. He helps the uniparty stay in power. And he's not about to step out of that protection, that bubble, and say, we have a serious problem in American education, and we need to stop teaching critical race theory, and we need to stop transgendering children, and we need to stop enabling election fraud. He doesn't have that courage. He doesn't have that spine. I know people who defend him would say, maybe he just doesn't see it. But you know what? He's a U.S. senator. He has to see it. It's his job. It's the job of every senator up there. But right now, I'm closing this and closing out today's show. The battle, like we started talking about at the beginning of the show, Tina Peters, when you have irrefutable evidence of how the Dominion voting machines are involved in election fraud and you provide it to people, and it's from cyber experts who are saying this is the one person called the third part. It was a three-part analysis. They did a third part as the Rosetta Stone showing how election fraud happens. That's what Tina Peters, her, her outcome is, you know, she's allegedly defeated in a primary. I don't believe that, but that was the, the outcome reported yesterday um, in the Colorado primaries. And then you have at the other end of the scale, the John Cornyn, who's safely ensconced in the world's most elite membership organization, the United States Senate, with a, you know, role to play of standing, saying he believes in Texas, but when push comes to shove and the issues really matter and the issues that are eating away at America and the issues that Americans can see around the country or watching our country be destroyed by the Marxist mindset that has embraced the Democrat Party, he either doesn't see it or doesn't care. And either way, it's not good enough. At the close of every show, I tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started our show out today talking about the uh, Tina Peters and the price of the fight. Mesa County Colorado Clerk Tina Peters exposed a complete fraud of voting machines in a local election. I'll learn the details in the previous show. Again, it was June 9th. Go back to June 9th show on our website, AmericanCanWeTalk.org. Public enemy number one ever since to those who orchestrate the seal of elections. Indicted for arranging for a data backup. Jailed with an original bail demand of half a million dollars. 
Federal agents induced mentally disabled husband to sign divorce papers while she was in jail. This was, she told this during my show. Her husband has advanced dementia. He doesn't even know her, but the, she believes it was the FBI. Someone found him in his, you know, facility he has to live in and lured him into signing divorce papers. I mean, just as another way to hurt her. Peters chose to run as a GOP for Colorado Secretary of State versus a Soros-funded incumbent. Uh, that's who the incumbent Democrat is. Opposed in the GOP primary by Pam Anderson, allegedly involved with Zuckerberg election activities. Uh, and I mentioned earlier the website. She is on the board of Zuckerberg's uh, Tech and Civic Life. Peters led in the polls at 47%, but somehow finished third in election results. And Anderson, quote, wins. Bogus narrative is all about voters tired of talk of stolen elections, and Peters was indicted. Ridding America of rigged elections may be comparable to ridding America of slavery, and I do mean that it's that important. Battle will be long and arduous and painful, but it must be won. Tina Peters is an American hero, the tip of the spear, fighting fraud. The JQ, J6 Inquisition Committee presses on. J6 Committee rolled out 25-year-old Meadows staffer Kathy Hutchinson to testify um, solely on the basis of second or third level hearsay that Trump tried to grab the steering wheel of the presidential limousine to take him to the Capitol on January 6th. Hutchinson testimony immediately refuted by actual Secret Service agents on duty at the time jumped up to say, well, testify under oath. Transparent get Trump at all cost motivation is making the J6 Committee a laughing stock to sentient American adults everywhere. But they press on. Next up for J6Com, harassment of Jenny Thomas, wife of Clarence Thomas, for having encouraged Mark Meadows to stand up and fight concerns about election fraud. Determined to enforce no questioning of the 2020 election. Side goal, to impugn, impugn Clarence Thomas. Politics ain't beanbag, but J6 committee is vicious, lawless, and anti-American and should be shut down. And then why Hillary attacks Justice Thomas? HRC claims Thomas has been a person of grievance since law school days, left his memes all over Twitter, by the way, trending on Twitter, uh, was calling him um, Uncle Clarence. That was trending on Twitter yesterday, Uncle Clarence. Reality, Clarence Thomas has never towed the leftist liberal line on race or anything else. He refuses to stay on the plantation, openly denounces liberal policies that destructed the black Americans, New York Post op-ed, leading on the Second Amendment, cutting judicial policymaking, even questioning actual malice standard that has shielded media from accountability for unscrupulous, smear-oriented journalism. Thomas appears to be de facto chief of justice of the Supreme Court, man of towering character. Clarence Thomas is a living refutation of liberal orthodoxy about race. HRC and leftist leaders fear Thomas because he's effective and he tells the truth about their policies. Cornyn for the assist on CRT agenda. Texas U.S. Senator John Cornyn led the passage of the red flag gun control laws after Uvalde. Now urging passage of Civics Secures Democracy Act. More government grants to schools allegedly to better teach civics to underserved communities, but viewed as a Trojan horse for CRT. Cornyn's actions reek of life lived entirely inside the Beltway bubble, apparently does not believe the left is at war with America. The left won't really take away guns. That's why he could support gun control. They won't really impose CRT in public schools. These are nice people. I know the guy who has DOE. Biden really did receive 81 million votes. He might actually believe that. Cornyn might. I don't know. Ukraine really is a cradle of upstanding democracy, despite what everyone knows about the Ukraine. Cornyn is wildly out of touch with his Texas constituents and the American mood. Seems to believe that he's... Be that that is because his constituents are hysterical and don't understand how government knows best. And that's why he got booed at the Texas GOP convention. He got booed because that's how he thinks of us. I am Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. I urge you to tune in every Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m. Central Time to America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you